0: Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of this day and the changing seasons and the cooler weather. God, mostly, though, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, in a world that is filled with chaos, people making all kinds of noise, telling us we should be afraid, telling us what to believe, even though some of those things go very much against your word. God, we know that there is a a spirit of evil that is out there, that has been around for a very, very long time, that's trying to fight all of the good that You're doing in our lives and in our world. And God, we just pray that You would always and everywhere be all-powerful. God, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would truly fill and be present in this place, that anything that is not of You would not be here. God, that Your Holy Spirit would just surround and encompass everything that we do and who we are as a church as we try to carry out the mission that You have for us. God, I think about our leaders that were away... Last weekend for Recovery Church, learning and growing to be able to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. I think about our adults and our students that are at Trout Lake this weekend growing in their faith, being strengthened for the world that they are surrounded by. And all of us, God, who are just trying to get through every day, trying to be faithful, trying to understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus. So I pray that As we look at Galatians, a a tough text, a difficult text, it's going to be a challenging one, God, that our eyes and ears and minds would be open, that we would hear truly what it is that you have for us today. God, And we just give you thanks. We give you thanks for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to talk Galatians chapter 4, starting in the 21st verse today. I got one of those little buggers right up here. Apparently it's not that cold out, the bugs are still out. Uh, today we want to talk about something that's tough. Talk about tension. Galatians 4, starting in chapter 21, there's tension. There's tension all around us. I don't have to tell you about that. There's tension in the Middle East right now. There's there's t- tension. Go a few thousand miles further east to that, and there's tension. You come to the US and some of the major cities, if you watch the news, there's tension everywhere. We live in a world of tension. If we're going to be honest about our lives, our lives are filled with tension. And today we're going to talk about tension. And what I'm what i going to ask you to do is be okay with it. Be okay with not having everything in your life worked out in in a nice, neat order this morning. God knows that. God knows that you live in tension. God knows that not everything is working out exactly the way that you would want it to. God knows that you're afraid of things that are out there and that we're being told and that we're being told we should be afraid of. That tension is okay. But what we want to do is make sure that that our eyes are focused in the right place and that we're looking to the right place in the right way as we deal with that tension. So we're going to talk tension. We're going to talk about slave and free. Paul is going to talk about slaves and free people. And in our world today, if that book was written, we wouldn't even be able to publish it. It It would have been absolutely gone, disappeared a long time ago. But he's going to talk about slave and free and the tension in that. He's going to talk about what Martin Luther talks so much about, and that's law and gospel. Not that one is right or one is wrong, but what's the tension between them? How about the tension between God's grace and our desire to do good works? Grace is that free gift that we don't deserve. Good works are the way that we try to earn our way to heaven. What about that tension that we live in every moment of every day between being a saint and being a sinner? The Bible says that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. We know that we continue to live in sin, and yet because of Jesus, God sees us as saints. And there's a tension there that we continue to do the things that we don't want to do, but we strive to do the things that God has called us to do. There is a tension in that. How about the tension that exists between gossip and love? Are we going to talk about people, or are we just going to love and pray for people? Today we're going to talk a lot about praying for people at the end. See, Paul is writing to these three churches in Galatia. And all three of them have the same struggle. And the struggle is a very simple one. It still goes on in the world today. It's this. They're all Gentiles like you and I. If if someone isn't born Jewish, everyone in the world is a Gentile. Either you're born Jewish or you're a Gentile. He's writing to Gentiles. Everyone who is not Jewish by birth. And there's a struggle because the Jewish church in Jerusalem, the home base, if you will, for Paul, is telling people that there's things that they have to do in order to be a part of being a Christian if you're going to claim any connection to the Jewish faith. And Paul says, no, doing things isn't what matters. Jesus is what matters. And so there's this tension between the world he grew up in and the world that Jesus brought to earth. And because of the tension, there's arguments and there's hard feelings. And Paul is trying to get things set straight. See, the Jewish people, like so many church people today, are all about appearance. They're all about what they look like. And yet Paul is saying, Jesus, he's about substance. What's really in your heart? See, our lives are messy. Your life is messy. Admit it. Maybe everybody believes the the mask that we all wear that says, everything's good. I got it all under control. Our lives are messy because we live in a messy world. Sometimes we make them more messy than they have to be. Sometimes the, the mess is thrown on us. But they're messy. But see, Jesus isn't concerned about the messy. Jesus is concerned about the substance. Not the appearance of your life. See, that that's an easy one to fake. So it's easy to be focused on the appearance. But you have to make it look good for a little while. Paul says Jesus is all about substance. It's about the relationship. It's about faith in Him. But see, we like the appearance part. That's the law because we can at least make that look the way we want it to look for a little while. See, the Jews, they're very concerned about Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath. That's one of the laws. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got this day. But what they had forgotten was the holy part of Sabbath. They had forgotten the God part. They were just worried about all the things they were supposed to do and not supposed to do. And Jesus says, you know, I just want you to take some time and and to work on being holy like I'm holy. But it was easier to focus on the Sabbath. Uh, Another one was the laws, the kosher laws, what they ate, what they drank, what they didn't eat, what they didn't drink. Keeping the kosher laws. See, that was easy because it was an appearance. Everybody would see whether you're doing it or not. And Jesus comes along and he's far more concerned about what you put into your mind and what you put into your heart than about what you eat. See, when you're careful about what you eat, that's an appearance thing. When you're careful about what goes into your mind and into your heart, that's a, that's a character thing. That's a substance thing. can't always see that. But the things that we allow into our minds and hearts, that becomes the things that we believe, the actions that we take, the things that we do. See, they were so focused on the law... That people were worried about doing the right things according to the law, not living in faith and recognizing that Jesus had done everything for them and living for Him. So, 2,000 years later, it's easier to just try to do a few things right than to live every moment of every day for Jesus. That's what Paul is going to address, and he's going to do it in a way that just gets right front and center in the world that we're living in today. And there's a whole other tension we're about to jump into. But I want to ask you this, what are you focused on? When you think about your life, when you think about going through a day, what are you focused on? It's either going to be law or gospel. It's either going to be doing good works or living for Jesus. And here's how you can tell. Are you more concerned about what people think about you and what you're doing than you are about actually living for Jesus? Because if you're concerned about the appearance, then you're trying to keep the law. You're trying to present something that may not be real, but as long as you can make it appear to look real, you can feel good about it. Or are you living for Jesus, which people might not always see? It's not the easiest thing to be able to do. So uh, are you worried about the faults and the flaws of others that are far worse than anything you would ever think about doing yourself? Or are you focused on your walk and your faith in Jesus? See, 2,000 years ago, there was a big push in the Jewish church to focus on appearance. And Paul is saying, you know what? What matters, what matters is the substance. What matters is Jesus. Are you more worried about what people think about you? Or are you worried about what Jesus knows about you? Because what people think about you, you can have some control over, maybe, probably not. What Jesus knows about you is everything. If you're trying to keep the law, what you're really trying to do is to make sure that other people see how religious and holy we are. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we're concerned about what it is that He knows about us. Who is it that you're trying to impress? People? Or Jesus? See, when we're trying to impress people, we're worried about appearance. How it looks like we're living. When we're trying to impress Jesus, when we're living for Him, none of that matters. What matters is, what's the condition of our heart and our heads? So now Paul's going to get into something here in verse 21 of chapter 4 that is a difficult thing to preach through. It's a difficult thing to understand because we are suddenly in our world in the middle of this, whether we want to or not, in a way that we've never been before. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to live under the law. Do you know what the law actually says? Law is about our own effort. The promise is about God's grace in Jesus. Do you know what the law actually says? What he's doing is he's pointing a legalistic finger at people who say, I want to do the right thing or at least give the appearance of doing the right thing with the things that I don't have a problem with. And then I want to point my finger at other people who aren't doing that very well. Do you know what the law actually says? The Scripture says that Abraham had two sons. We know that from reading the Old Testament. One from his slave wife and one with his freeborn wife. He introduces that phrase again that our world has such a hard time with slave. There's a lot of bad stuff connected to that. There should be. And part of it is is the law and crossing the law. And he tells us earlier that if we live according to the law, we're going to die because the law is going to convict us. And so one of them, one of these women is a slave wife. The other is a freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. What's he talking about? Way back when God made the promise to Abraham, he said, here's the thing. You're going to have a child, even in your old age, Abraham, you and your wife. And she's well beyond childbearing years. You're going to have a son. And that son is going to give uh, birth to a generation of people that are going to be so many that they won't even be able to be counted more than the stars in the sky, the sand on the sea. There's going to be that many people. God makes a promise. And when God makes a promise, it is a promise that's going to be kept. And Abraham's first thing is, how am I going to do that? I'm so old. She's old. That's not going to work. And so a little time goes on and Abraham gets worried that maybe God can't do what he needs to do. And so Abraham is functioning under the law and he says, well, I'm going to do it for God. I want to make sure that this happens. So he goes to his wife's slave and conceives a child with her. And she gives birth. And this is, this is the child of the slave. This is the child of the flesh. But then later on, God comes along and he says, Abraham, it's time now for the child that I promised you. And Isaac is born to Sarah. That's the child of the promise. Why is that important? Because good Christian people, good religious people even today, We do things out of the flesh trying to help God along. We think, well, God, you're taking too long. I've been praying about it for all of three days now, and you haven't given me an answer, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some help. Rather than saying, God, I just give it to you and I'm going to wait to see what your response is. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to pray according to your will. That would be according to the promise, the other according to the flesh. We do it all the time. We try to fix things on our own with what we can see rather than trusting God to do things with all of what he can see. So these kids are born, one a child of the flesh, one a child of the promise. The thing is, when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. Because God is a promise keeper. God cannot make a promise and then not carry out and keep that promise, or He's no longer God, He's a liar. And so these two children are born, and because they're both born to the man that God made the promise to, both of these sons give rise to a nation of people that is more numerous than can be counted. That's the conflict that we're living in in our world today. Verse 24, it says, these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. See, there's this, this earthly covenant and there is this eternal covenant. God makes promises that he keeps on earth because God made the promise, but then there are promises that are made in eternity, eternity that God has made a promise on. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai. This is the, this is the servant. This is the slave woman. This is Ishmael's mom. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people receive the law that enslaved them. We talked earlier about how the law, if you want to live according to the law, the law will pronounce you guilty and it leads to death. That's why Jesus gave his life on the cross who had never broken the law. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to law, to the law. When we try to do things on our own, the Jewish church says you've got to keep the laws, you're living as a slave to the law. He's making the connection to the mother. But the other woman, Sarah, Abraham's wife, represents the heavenly Jerusalem, the eternal Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, he says, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. For all of you who are Gentiles, who have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are a child of the promise. When you try to do things on your own outside of God, when you try to keep the law and you make up your own rules and you point your finger at other people and you talk about other Christians really aren't living very Christians, you're living according to the law. And what you're saying is the death of Jesus isn't enough for me. I'm going to do it on my own. And that's what Paul's talking about here. But you, as a believer, are a child of the promise. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. There is a child of the flesh and a child of the promise. What is important in all of this? When God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. When we're on earth claiming God's promises and still trying to live according to the law, trying to keep score because that's easier for us, we don't have to feel like, well, I don't really know that Jesus can do it all, so I'm going to do it myself. We really end up making a mockery of the cross and we try to live and have our freedom bought for us by the law and that doesn't work. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. In the end, Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael out and away. Genesis 21 if you want to look it up. He made them leave their company. So, dear brothers and sisters, we're not the children of the slave woman. We're children of the free woman. Ishmael, it says in the Bible, was going to be at odds with all of his brothers forever when he left. Paul is laying out these two women and one husband as an example of what is it to live under the law with your own effort and what is it to live under the promise with what Jesus does in his grace on the cross. What's hard about that is this. Ishmael, through Abraham, is the one that everyone who... And you talk about, the, about Islam, Muslims. They take their faith and they trace it all the way back to Abraham and everything before that in the Old Testament through Ishmael. So you've got this whole group of people that are claiming a promise using the very same people in the Bible that we understand and agree were actually there. They actually lived. The Jewish people and us as a part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. The Old Testament is the Jewish part of our Bible. The New Testament is the Jesus part of our Bible. We understand that God traces the nation of Israel back through Isaac, the child of the promise. Why is that important? Because that's the battle that's going on in our world today. What's happening in the Middle East, it isn't new. It isn't because somebody got more fighter jets or more money than somebody else. It's been going on for as long as the Old Testament has been written and has been lived out. It began with Abraham choosing to do his own part trying to keep God's promise with Hagar and Ishmael rather than trusting in God's promise with Sarah and Isaac. Why is that tough? Well, because there's people that are very passionate on both sides of this, whether they trace their faith lineage back to Ishmael or they trace their faith lineage back to Isaac. Jesus, by the way, is in the line of Isaac. Both sides of that are very passionate. They absolutely believe it. So much so that they're willing to fight for it. And what's happened now is that in our world, not only are the Palestinians and the Israelis fighting through Gaza to Jerusalem and the rest of Israel, because they're fighting over that little bit of land, now people from Lebanon have been drawn into it, from Syria, from Iran, from Iraq, from China, from Russia, and because China's in, Taiwan is on alert, And because all of those people are are on alert, every other nation in that area is having to figure out where they stand and who they ally with, and then the U.S. is on alert. And it all goes back to Abraham trying to keep God's promise with his own efforts, rather than trusting in God's promise. One is a child of the flesh, the other is a child of the promise. See, the the law, and Abraham chose to live among the law. The law has us convinced that we can be good enough to earn God's favor on our own by doing more good things than bad things. And the thing that we like about that, because people like the law, you know people who go to church who are Christians, that love the law, they're very religious. Maybe you call them fundamentalists. They're law keepers. And we like to keep that score because some people, actually, I've talked to them, they don't want to feel like they are in debt to God for the death of Jesus. So they're going to do it on their own. They're going to be slaves to the law. Legalism and God's grace can't exist together. See, God will never, ever accept anybody's good works. There was one perfect human being that ever lived. That was Jesus. Jesus never broke the law. In 33 years walking this earth with all of the evil that surrounded him, with all the things that were said to him, with all the things that were done to him, with all the things that were said about him, Jesus never broke the law. And it cost him his life. See, the law has a price. And the price is human life. See, it's never going to be enough to do good works to earn God's favor when we try to do that, we make it all about us. God, look at what I did. Look at what I didn't do. Look at how much I gave. Look at who I helped. Look what I stayed away from. Look what I didn't read. Look what I didn't do. And we're trying to impress God with who we are, and yet God is not impressed because the law is all about what we do for God. Grace, the promise, is all about what God did for us in Jesus. And it should be the easiest thing in the world for us to accept. But somehow we don't want to feel like we owe God. We don't want to feel like I have a debt to God because of what He did for me in Jesus. So we hang on to the law even though we know the law is going to convict us as guilty every single time. Jesus, as the most perfect human being, the only perfect human being who ever lived, died out of obedience to God. He lived without sinning in a world of sin. And what was the world's response to Him? was to put Him to death. That is the only way Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, who loved us while we were still sinners, the Bible says, is the only way that we can join eternity, eternity in heaven. Paul saying Ishmael is the son of a slave woman and a man, Abraham, who lacked faith enough to wait for God's timing but wanted to live the benefit of God's promise. That's an awful lot of people today. We don't want to live the way God calls us to live, but we want the benefits. We want the blessings. I want to be forgiven, God. Thank you. I appreciate that. But no, I'm not willing to live for you. That's the law. Isaac, Paul says, is the son of a free woman and a man who is now living in faith in God and God's promise. You've got the son of the flesh and the son of the promise. Paul says that as a Christian who believes in Jesus, you're a child of the promise. Stop trying to live as a child of the flesh. Stop trying to earn God's favor and just say thank you to God for what He's done in Jesus. One is the child of sin. One is the child of God's promise. This thing that is going on in Israel is because so much of the world denies God and His promises. They claim That tradition, they claim the history, but they deny what God has done because they don't like it. And so they're working it out through their version of the law. But what about us? Do you live to try to please God or do you live in gratitude for what God has done in Jesus and live for Him? Either all of us, every one of us are either a child of God or we're a child of the flesh. How do you live? And I think the easiest answer is this. Who do you live to impress? Do you live to try to impress other people with the appearance of what you do right? I know a lot of people like that. Thing is, though, we're all sinners and so we know better. And yet somehow or another, we've got this idea that I can fool God. If I try hard enough, I can fool most of the people, but I can fool God and he's going to be impressed and I get to go to heaven. No. No. Or are you trying to live for Jesus because Jesus already knows how you live? Do you accept that you're a sinner who is in need of a Savior and the only hope that you have is the grace of God shown you in Jesus? That's a child of the promise. How do you live? Do you live trying to earn your salvation? Or do you live like Jesus did in grateful obedience for your salvation? What's happening out there in the world today? You and I, we can't fix we can't fix what's happening in Israel. We can't fix what's happening in the Gaza Strip in the southwest part of Israel. We can't fix what's happening out of Lebanon or Syria or Iran. We can't fix that Egypt isn't taking any, any refugees right now. We can't fix what's happening in Russia or China or because of China, Taiwan. But we can pray. What we can do is pray. And this is one of those prayers that's so big, we don't even try to tell God how to fix it. We just give it to God and say, God, you're the creator. We've made a mess, and the mess that we make is called sin, and we're seeing it. We're hearing about it. We don't even entirely understand. The only thing that we can pray for is that God's will be done. Is it the beginning of end times? I don't know. It kind of looks like it, but I'm not smart enough to quite understand that. But I know my Bible, and I know my Bible tells me that a lot of this stuff shouldn't be a surprise to us, which means it isn't a surprise to God because he had it written down a long time ago. And so what do we do? We pray. We pray for people, for all of them. We pray for the Jews in Israel. We pray for the Palestinians in Israel. That might be hard, but the Bible tells us that we're to love and pray for our enemies. Well, guess what? They're not our enemies. We pray for the folks in Lebanon and in Syria. We don't agree with them. We don't understand them, but we can pray for them. We pray for the people in Iran. We pray for the people in, in Russia and in China and Taiwan and all over the world. you know why? Because the Bible says that Jesus died and gave his life for anyone who would call upon his name. So the one thing that we can do is that we can pray that people would understand the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. That we can do. In the midst of all of it, should we be afraid? No. Should we be aware? Yes. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you know how it ends. You know where you end. You end up in heaven. So what can we do? We can pray. We can recognize that God's greatest gift is that because we believe in Jesus, we can be children of the promise, the promise that he made so long ago. We can be children of the promise, and we can have the opportunity to look forward to an eternity in heaven. So let's pray. God, this is a tough, tough passage. Save just a few verses for today, but boy, we could spend an awful lot more time on it. And so, God, we're going to do just what I suggested. We're going to pray. God, we're going to pray for the people in Israel and the people in Gaza. Because they're all afraid. God, we're going to pray for the people just south in Egypt and just southeast in Iran. We're going to pray for people that we don't understand and don't agree with. We're going to pray for the people in Lebanon and Syria. We're going to pray for the people in Russia and China and Taiwan And we're going to pray for people right here at home in the United States of America. Because, God, in every single one of those country countries, there are people who need Jesus. There are people who need to know the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that he gave his life because we are sinners. God, that would be our prayer. And then you've given us a a unique and an interesting and wonderful call. We've got a front row seat to being able to share that good news with the people not just all over the world, but the people who we live next door to. The people who we go to school with. The people who we work with. You've given us a call, God, to share the good news of Jesus. Not, not to gossip. Not to point our fingers or to throw our Bibles or hit somebody over the head with them. God, you've, you've given us a front row seat to be able to tell people about Jesus' great love for us. His obedience to you that paid the price for our sin, so that we could become children of the promise and live in eternity in heaven with you. And so, God, we want to be people who understand that, who accept that, and who are generous with what you've given us. Help us as a congregation, God, to carry out the call, the vision, the mission that you've given us. Whether it's through our capital campaign, through, through Sunday giving, or through having a conversation with someone at the office that might be a little bit uncomfortable. God, help us to live as people who understand that we're children of the promise. People who you have given everything that you have to. You gave your only son. That we could know you and share the good news of Jesus with others. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to ask you to stand. Ushers, uh, can get ready. We're gonna collect gifts, tithes, and offerings. We talk about being generous, about how God is a, a God of abundance, not scarcity, but uh, we live in this world where we're so worried about not having enough. Uh, part of what Deidre and I did when we went away was we went to her annual conference for her company where there's a lot of brilliant financial minds, people who, uh, who do all kinds of stuff on the national and global scale with, with money and, I heard some interesting speakers and one of the things that became so clear is our whole world is living in fear. We're not going to have enough. We're going to lose what we have. We better make sure we take care of us. Well, here's what I have to say. We talked about a capital campaign and if you haven't been a part of it, we would welcome you to be a part of it. Why? Because God has given us a responsibility to care for the people who are around us. Your neighbors, the people you go to school with. I realize I have the same questions that you do. I don't know what's happening for sure. I'm not sure where our government is leading us or what's going to happen in the world, but I know who's got it all in His hands, and that's God. And what God has done is given us a unique opportunity to care for and to pour into the lives of the people who are around us that those who don't know Jesus would have an opportunity to hear about who he is and live in a personal relationship with him because of who we are as people and as a church. So with that, thank you for your giving. Thank you for your uh, generosity. And we're going to continue to worship. So our God is a God of abundance. You hear me say that all the time. We are people who have a scarcity mindset, but God is a God of abundance. And so three things to tie with that. One of them is a few weeks ago, we came up at the end of a service and found out that uh, Dr. Bolsi down in Haiti had been uh, targeted for a kidnapping. And they took one of his safety team, uh, got him out there, Okay. uh, everything has been okay, uh, better now. Junior, their guy, has been returned. This afternoon at uh, about 2 o'clock, David and I get to visit with uh, Dr. Volsey for a couple hours. Uh, he's in Minnesota. Everything is good. So thank you for your prayers. I can't wait to see him. So God is good. God is abundant. Second one is uh, Operation... Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child, one of our Spice of Life group is a part of this. They're straight out the door. You can get a box and you can get a card. They'll explain what you do, how you fill it up, when you bring it back, how you take care of it. It's a way to share a little bit of your abundance with a a young person that would uh, love to have you help make their Christmas. And then a photo, please. Talking about God's abundance. This gentleman who is in the church, and I promise I will not point out where he is standing Um, Because he was not about to come up front with me, which I understand because it's terrifying up here. Here's the deal. He needs our help. Talk about God being a God of abundance. Down needs a kidney. Here's the thing that's really cool. He needs one kidney. How many kidneys do you have? Okay, that was the weakest thing ever. You're all scared. That's not going to work. He needs one kidney and every one of you has how many? Which means you've got one to spare. God is so awesome. So if you are interested in being tested, this doesn't mean there's a long process that follows. If you're interested in being tested, we asked if we could make the announcement here because I know there are people that say I'm oh, in. Blood type isn't important. There's other things that uh, you need to match. Leah's going to be in back with a notebook. If you are willing to be on the list just to be tested, let's just get people in to see if we can find somebody who's a match. He's got bad kidneys. He needs one good kidney. You have two good kidneys. He just needs one of yours. Fair Wow, we're just not going. Fair. Thank you. If you're willing to be tested, talk to Leah and Dallin says thank you in the back row standing and smiling where I'm telling you I won't point him out or anything like that. Thank you. Uh, we had seven people first service who gave names and phone numbers. Would love to double that number or even do more. I know I will say for him, thank you for even thinking about it. Last thought, here we go. Pray for the people of our world, not just the ones that are like you, not just the ones you like, not just the ones you agree with or on the same side of the political aisle or the same ones that go to your kind of church. We gotta pray for everybody that doesn't know Jesus. We pray for the people who do know Jesus who are under fire and who are being persecuted. The problem with the law is that the law makes us feel like we're doing something important when what we're really doing is just convicting ourselves. However, the grace of the gospel fills and sustains and propels us. And when we're filled with the grace of the gospel, it's like those buckets of grace I talked about a couple of weeks ago where we can walk through splashing them on everybody all over the place. You know what? The world doesn't need another person to gossip. The world doesn't need another person to condemn or point their finger or throw their Bible. The world needs more grace of Jesus. And so as you go out this week, share the grace of Jesus. Tell somebody Jesus loves them. Maybe they don't even know that. Have a great week. Thanks for coming. One more song before we go. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, right outside the door. Leah will be there to take names for Dallin. Thanks, folks.